0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Washington Watch. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, the left's identity politics, it works as long as there are no problems. But the cascading crisis involving planes, trains, and autos revealed just how dangerous it is to the American public
2: to elevate identity over competence. We have heard way too many stories from generations past of infrastructure where you got a, a neighborhood, often a neighborhood of color, that finally sees the project come to them, but everyone in the hard hats on that project looking like, uh, uh, you know, doing, doing the g- good paying jobs, don't look like they came from anywhere near the neighborhood.
1: You see, when you're a product of identity politics, that's all you can talk about. That was Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg at the National Association of Counties conference on Monday. Now, I should note, that at that point on Monday, 10 days into the train derailment in Ohio, the transportation secretary had not yet made a public statement about the rail disaster, but he did joke about
2: balloons. But it couldn't be a more exciting time for transportation. Uh, It's had its challenges. Right. Uh, I mean, if you look at what the American transportation systems have faced in the last two or three years, partly because of the pandemic, We've faced issues from container shipping to airline cancellations. Mm-hmm. Now we got balloons.
1: Well, we'll talk more about that. Ohio Congressman Morin Davidson joins us in just a moment. And speaking of distractions. The Department of Defense leaders claimed overturning Roe would severely impact military readiness, but the department has averaged less than 20 abortions per year for many many years average only 20 so does this potentially restricting less than 20 procedures a year sound like a threat to our military redness it does not that was alabama senator tommy tuberville wow so our national defense rests upon the ability of less than two dozen women a year to abort their babies Our military is in even worse shape than I thought. And remember this.
3: Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, Not in this context. I'm not a biologist.
1: Uh, of course, it was Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn questioning now Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson during her confirmation hearing last March. By the way, uh, this is not isolated. There are many, many on the left that refuse to define woman. So a measure has been introduced into Congress to define what a woman is. In your wildest dreams, did you ever think we would get to a point in America that Congress would have to pass a law to define a woman? Well, we're going to talk about it with Mississippi Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And here is a news flash: A just-release survey reveals an overwhelming majority of Republican voters want their party's presidential contenders to take on wokeness. We're going to get the details from John Swepp, Director of Policy and Government Affairs for the American Principles Project a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, a South Dakota state representative says those who are advocating for children to grow up in a home with a married mom and dad are promoting a very dangerous and un-American belief. Yes, yes, you heard me right. Ben Johnson, senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand, joins me with more on this outrageous story. And we'll get an update on the Asbury University revival from Dr. J. Johnston, National Prayer Director, Family Research Council, who is at asbury university in kentucky the website tonyperkins.com lots of resources there for you so be sure and check that out and also share it with your friends our word for today comes from nahum chapter 3 verse 7 and all who look at you will shrink from you and say wasted is nineveh who will grieve for her where shall i seek comforters for you now this is the prophet's final warning to nineveh of complete destruction for turning away from god's grace The destruction was so complete this capital city of this powerful Assyrian Empire was totally forgotten. Skeptics had claimed biblical references to Nineveh were mythical until around 1845 when English archaeologists discovered the ruins of Nineveh revealing a powerful advanced kingdom. Among the discoveries was the library of King Ashurbanibal, a ruler who had compiled the historical record of Babylon 2,000 years prior to his day. Historians say it was perhaps the most significant archaeological discovery ever made. In the ruins, there is a message of instruction, of warning. This powerful nation that rejected God was destroyed and forgotten. God's word is true. For more on our two-year journey through the Bible, go to frc.org. On February 3rd, a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in Ohio, igniting a fire and blanketing the region with both smoke and chemicals. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine ordered local residents to evacuate as officials carried out a controlled release of the toxic fumes. Both the Biden administration and the legacy media have basically ignored this disaster. The question is why? Well, join me now to discuss this and more as Congressman Warren Davidson. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Ohio. Congressman Davidson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always an
4: honor to join you, Tony. Thanks for talking about this.
1: Well, I know this derailment did not take place in your district, but it did happen uh, in, on the other side of the state in Ohio, and it's something the delegation's been concerned about. Tell us what you know. The evacuation order has ended. Some residents have returned home. What, uh, what's the latest information coming from this disaster?
4: Well, uh, what what you highlighted, you know, is the derailment happened on February third, and you know it was fifty rail cars, ten of which had hazardous materials on them. And at that point, there were no good options. They were afraid that there was going to be a boiling explosion. It would have uh, vaporized all of the liquid in there and spread it in a much further area. The blast radius would have been enormous. Uh, so they did a controlled release of it. They built a catch basin uh, and ignited it so that it would consume the liquid rather than letting the liquid penetrate the ground. So, all the options are bad um, and the hazardous site is still dangerous and big and it will be a enormous environmental cleanup project. Uh, right now there are a lot of residents who are concerned, did they get the whole truth? Is the water that in their area clean and safe and unfortunately when they Evacuated people, some animals weren't evacuated, uh, and the waterways have dead fish in them. So they're concerned that any of the water wouldn't properly be filtered through the water treatment system, and certainly any groundwater that people have in a well uh, system wouldn't be safe to drink.
1: Governor DeWine has uh, been kind of upset over information that has not been passed on to Ohio. In fact, in, in one Uh, Report. He was talking about how the state of Ohio and any state should be advised when uh, hazardous materials are moving through their state. What's the sense there on the ground in terms of the Department of Transportation uh, and the federal government's response?
4: I think there's a lot of frustration. I mean, you think about it, uh, you know, the Secretary of Transportation, he didn't first comment on on it until Tucker Carlson did a segment on it. Uh, so, Tucker Carlson was doing a segment with our newly elected Senator J.D. Vance, and during that hour was the first public comment from the Ch- Secretary of Transportation. Uh, now NTSB, the uh, Safety Board, is out looking at what was the cause, uh, the EPA's been responsive, uh, you know, you look at FEMA, there's a role here. And I think the everyone's kind of been underwhelmed with the kind of coordination that we've seen in other disasters. And when you look at the size of this, it's literally like a quarter mile from Pennsylvania. It's just above the uh, Ohio River. There are contaminants in the Ohio River, as you said, and I'm about four and a half hours away, um, closer to Cincinnati. Uh, the district is it includes the west side of Cincinnati. So the west, uh, western portion of the Ohio River, west of Cincinnati to the Indiana State Line is the southern border of the 8th District. And the city tested chemicals and present now, not in high levels, this far away. But there's a lot of concern as you get close to this. And if this doesn't qualify as a federal site that hits Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, at a minimum, uh, you know, then what does? And with the rail companies all over the country, we've seen you know derailments, but also with the recent labor strike, a lot of concern. Uh, are the rail companies really adequately paying attention to this? So there's a a lot of uh, interest in having this elevated and uh, getting higher level attention from Congress and certainly from the Secretary of Transportation.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there are, I think, over a 1,000 derailments a year. I mean, th- these are major problems. And I know the Biden administration has been, uh, you know, crowing about their, quote-unquote, bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, but we're seeing one kind of crisis after another, many of them self-imposed, like where we had the own... Uh, the FAA's own computer system uh, kind of implodes, suspending flights for, for hours. I, is this another example of the left's identity politics, you know, advocating putting uh, Pete Buttigieg in this position because he checks one of those boxes for the president, as opposed to having competent people in these positions?
4: Yeah, I think that's highlighted. I mean, you know, if there was any question whether it was a good idea to have Mayor Pete become Secretary Pete, uh, the past two years have answered that. Surely, uh, there has to be some level of criteria that will get uh, a Biden administration employee fired. Uh, and That's the thing, you haven't seen Joe Biden say you're fired to anybody. And it, it, you know, how do you not fire somebody? There have been incompetence and mismanagement everywhere. Uh, and you know, as he's highlighting, well, you know, you know the, the workers don't look a whole lot like the people that live in Martha's Vineyard or the Hamptons or Beverly Hills either. Thankfully, we've got people showing up to work. Uh, You know, the Secretary of Transportation needs to show up and pay attention to the job he's got. Uh, Someone has to do it, and if he's not going to, he needs to step aside if no one will fire him and let somebody else get the mission accomplished.
1: Well, I mean, it's normal, I guess, that you would focus on this identity politics that you made reference to about the workers representing or looking like the neighborhoods they're working in That would be normal if if you're a product of that. And and, and as you pointed out, Mayor Pete, who became Secretary Pete, he's a product of that. He's Joe Biden put him in place because he is an open uh, homosexual that's married to a man. And they put him in that post because it checks one of those political boxes the identity politics that the left likes to play.
4: Yeah, and and look, um, I'm fine if there's diversity, if uh, the first criteria is excellent. Everyone I know who's going into surgery wants the best surgeon, and they can overcome whatever accent they got to work through to know that their surgeon is the best person for the job. I think we surely could expect that uh, when it comes to our cabinet officials.
1: One final question for you, Congressman Davidson. I mean, I know there are already hearings looking into Homeland Security and the crisis at the border and the incompetence of the Secretary of Homeland Security. Can we expect to see Congress looking into the competence of the Secretary of Department of Transportation?
4: How could we not? I mean, I certainly know it's come up uh, in talking with my colleagues, and certainly the Ohio delegation is frustrated about it. And uh, gosh, the list is long uh, in terms of uh, administration officials that need it hey we've got committees of jurisdiction now that will cover all of them and i hope that uh, frankly this is a bipartisan thing you know i saw nina turner who's a pretty far left uh you know, democrat in ohio so far left she didn't win the primary when she ran to fill now secretary fudge's uh, congressional seat when uh, marcia fudge became secretary of HUD. yeah nina turner uh and i agree ohio deserves better from the secretary of transportation yeah, yeah, hopefully the accountability for Secretary Buttigieg is uh, is bipartisan. All
1: right, well we'll we'll be watching for that, uh, Congressman Warren Davidson. Always great to see you. Thank you. All right, folks, stick with us. We're back with more Washington Watch when we're joined by Senator Cindy Hyde
2: of the Mississippi next. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible.
5: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Hi, we live in an era when many in our government cannot or will not answer the question, what is a woman? even as the Biden administration attempts to rewrite Title IX regulations to include biological men who identify as women, it is against this backdrop that Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith recently reintroduced a resolution to establish a woman's bill of rights. Now, if you think that this is not necessary, all right, I I want to play another clip. I played the clip of uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson earlier, but this is on the House side. Uh, Our good friend, Congressman Dan Bishop, uh, back uh, in May of last year, was asking uh, Yatasha Robinson, medical director of the Alabama Women's Center for Reproductive Alternatives, a question. Play clip number eight.
6: You say that you are a
1: woman. Can you tell me, otherwise, can
6: you tell me what a woman is?
3: Yes, I'm telling you, I'm a woman.
4: Is that as, as, a, as comprehensive a definition as you can give me?
3: That's as comprehensive as the def- definition as I will give you today.
1: The, the questioning went on, and she said, I, I, I identify as a woman, and, and we need to respect what people identify as. Well, words have meaning, okay? And, and it has repercussions. You know, it's fine for kids to pay, play make-believe, but when adults begin to play make-believe... Uh, there's there is uh, there 's serious fallout, so in this uh, resolution, it affirms the biological differences between men and women under federal law. Uh, what does this reveal that such a resolution is even necessary? It tells me we 're in a lot of trouble. Well, join me now to discuss this and more as Senator Cindy Hyde Smith. She serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Committee on Appropriations. And she was recently named chair of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus. She represents the state of Mississippi. Senator Hyde-Smith, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This is a great opportunity.
1: Well, let me first congratulate you on being selected as chair of the Pro-Life Caucus there in the Senate. A very important uh, caucus. And look forward to working with you on a number of these life issues that are going to be hopefully uh, introduced in the Senate.
3: Absolutely, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, Steve Baines did a great job. It's big shoes to fill to come in behind him. And uh, we're up to that. We're looking forward to that. You know, I am the senator from Mississippi, where the Dobbs decision came to the Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade. So with that comes a lot of responsibility. And we understand that in Mississippi, and I understand that in my role as the pro-life chairman for the caucus here and uh, really look forward to some things getting done, playing defense and making sure we're watching every piece of legislation very carefully.
1: Well, speaking of legislation, let's, uh, let's talk about your resolution for a uh, women's bill of rights. Uh, tell us about this and why you believe it's necessary at this time.
3: Well, you know, when you have people referring to birthing people, Instead of a woman or a mother and uh, you know, the sex of an individual male and female, the biological sex as they was born. It's just very important for a clear definition. When you're talking about athletics, when you're talking about prison, the terms woman and girl refer to human females and the uh, terms man and boy refer to males. It's so unbelievable that this is necessary, but it truly is. And uh, that's what we want to set out to do. We want to make sure that there's no muddy water, there's no issue that's not clear, that you're sentenced to prison and uh, what prison you're going to go to. But it's just the policies and laws that distinguish the sexes of biological birth.
1: As I was making reference to earlier, it, you know, it's one thing for kids to play make-believe. It doesn't really affect anybody. They can run around the backyard and act like, identify whatever they want to identify as. But as adults, when we start changing the definitions of words, it radically alters society. And there's so many aspects of federal law that are impacted by simply changing definitions. And when you have... Even a Supreme Court justice who cannot or will not define what a woman is, I mean, that has serious implications for how we do business in America.
3: Well, this is obviously to uh, the purpose of complying with federal law, the state laws and local government. This is what this is to address. This is a clear definition that you use based on your federal government and those other two entities of the state and locals. And, uh, you know, it is, it's pretty incredible that uh, a lot of times they do just refuse to answer the question. But I'm glad we have this and I have reintroduced it and will continue to work for its passage.
1: So Senator, do you you think you'll get any democratic support for your resolution?
3: I would be very surprised. I uh, would hope that I would, but I would be very surprised because like you said, kids can pretend and adults are pretending here, That's and uh, you know I say all the time, you can pretend all day, but don't expect me to pretend with you.
1: Yeah, yeah amazing. Uh, final question for you, Senator. I'm going to go back to the the, the pro-life caucus. What what do you uh, what should we be looking for this year when it comes to protecting life in the Senate?
3: Well, obviously things have changed since the Dobbs case and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And we are, as I put it, having to pay, play a lot of defense. We're having to carefully comb over every bill, looking through it through the lens of a pro lifer, and making sure that uh, everything, the Hyde amendments are protected, that federal dollars aren't going to go for paying abortions or abortions. And uh, you know they're really desperately trying to maneuver, trying to, as such as the VA hospitals. Performing abortions now because mm-hmm. it's a federal clinic and we're just going to have to first of all make sure that we're very careful with every piece of legislation that all eyes are on it that there's nothing in there that I could not support being a pro-life woman or the caucus could support right. so that's one of the things another thing that I want to accomplish is there's a lot of good legislation being passed throughout the states of helping mothers and right. because we care about the mothers we care about these babies and we think that uh, it is our responsibility to enable these mothers to be successful in raising these children i know mississippi has some laws right now that they're looking at but i want to share those good ideas those good laws throughout the country between the states
1: yeah I think and it's let a great... everyone
3: know that it's our responsibility to right. step up And help these mothers and help these children.
1: Great idea. Senator, we've got to leave it there. Out of time. But thanks for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again soon.
3: Thank you so much. Are you a
5: university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. It's now been a week since a chapel service at Asbury University began, and it just as it stopped, as the Holy Spirit moved worshipers to continue the service with songs, prayer, and repentance. Now, for those who may have heard the term revival used in a different context, the outpouring takes place in Kentucky uh, that has taken place Kentucky, in Kentucky this last week was not a scheduled week of uh, revival services you know we often churches have an annual revival this wasn't what this was this was a spontaneous outbreak led by the Holy Spirit now joining me now to discuss this is Dr. J. Johnston he's the National Prayer Director and Chaplain at the Family Research Council and he's in Kentucky now where he went on behalf of FRC to observe Revival for himself, Doctor J. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony.
6: Thanks for having me today.
1: Now, I know you—you're uh, leaving. You're getting ready to head back out. Uh, tell us what you observed there at uh, Asbury.
6: Well, even as you commented, this wasn't anything planned, orchestrated, organized. It's really what we know from John twelve thirty two when the Word of God says, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw people to myself. And that's what's happening. They, in, the, in the 24 hours of, of worshiping with them and just being um, in the different uh, venues, that word was not even there, but I can tell you the word revival wasn't used, but I can tell you the word obedience to the Holy Spirit and the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, you know was there and and echoing what you said of the 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 prayer time, the worship, the testimonies, um, just a beautiful sight to behold.
1: Uh, is it still going on with the same intensity that we've seen over the last week?
6: Uh, Probably even from talking to some of the faculty and some of the students and praying with them, they feel like it's even at a greater intensity. And even as uh, Kevin um, shared in the chapel time today that, all we know is we're going to just be obedient, and while it's dis, it's quote disrupted, they want to just continue to lean in what God is doing.
1: So, but yes, it, describe what was taking place there. There was worship. You say there was repentance. Describe what you saw there as you were on the campus.
6: Yeah, um, you know, if if you can describe humility. Um, or if you take the definition, that's what I, that's what I saw. That's what I witnessed um, from the people in the lines to get into the, to Hughes or to SDS or Kent, Kennan, McKenzie. And then they opened up another venue um, for students that are like under 25, that they took a new room, but really with humility, and it was these, these times of worship. there wasn't names like we would have grown accustomed to, not names on screens or bright lights. It's just simple uh, piano, a guitar, um, just heart-leading and, and just and a lot of times it's just the instruments stop and you just hear this choir of voices in that time. And then they have testimony. And by the way, let me just say this is all being led by students, so it's it's just it's students doing this, and and but they have testimonies where they share. Um, I witnessed um, last night and today testimonies of reconciliation, where there were some students who who shared uh, that they had not had a relationship with one of their parents. And out of what started last week, the Lord just really directed them to uh, go to that parent and ask for forgiveness for whatever that was. And they've reconciled there, I witnessed generosity, salvations, um, you know, surrendering. There was a young man shared that he had just felt like he had been running, um, not knowing what he was supposed to do, but God called him. Uh, into ministry, and he was stepping into that.
1: This was going on around the clock?
6: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, You know, it gets a little smaller uh, between midnight and 6, I can testify, but the intensity doesn't. Um, But even, even before chapel started at 10 a day, Four hours before that, there's reading of Scripture. And that was the other thing. There's a lot of reading of Scripture throughout. There's there's prayer down front individually, or you can have a prayer counselor with you. It's very organized um, in, in the manner that they have prayer team leaders praying with people. Um, they have other people. A lot of these other schools that have come, not only to observe and to and, and really, it's not an observation. You just immediately are drawn into the presence to participate.
1: And, you're going to
6: participate in this worship. You're going to you're going to pray. But they also have people that have just come to serve right. to serve the faculty, to serve the students, to to clean bathrooms, etc. I mean, there's literally there were I don't know how many, but I can tell you there were there were. There were multiple thousands just in line today.
1: Wow! Wow! Well, I look forward to getting a, 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 a more detailed report uh, when you get back. Uh, well, I'll get Kentucky. you, and we're going to drive up here. All right, all right, Dr. <laughs> Jay. Thanks so much, folks. Thank you. An amazing, yep. an amazing thing happening. Let's continue to pray for the students there and and the people all across this country. Don't go away. We're back with more after this.
5: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Boy, we've been squeezing out every uh, second in these segments. A couple of things I want to go back and and hit. Um, I was talking about this earlier when we were uh, talking with Congressman Warren Davidson about the Department of Transportation and the secretary, Pete Buttigieg, and, and just all the problems surrounding his tenure as secretary. And there's a great piece by Joshua Arnold at The Washington Stand, TheWashingtonStand.com, great source of news and information from a biblical perspective. But it catalogs all the problems uh, in the Department of Transportation under Buttigieg. I mean, he's, it's all about identity politics. And this is what happens when you're all focused, when an administration is focused on checking boxes rather than providing services for the American people. So check that out, Washington Stand. And uh, if you live in the Baton Rouge area, come join me Sunday morning. I'll be at Jefferson Baptist Church uh, preaching the morning service there. You can find out more at uh, TonyPerkins.com. That's Sunday morning, this coming Sunday at Jefferson Baptist Church. All right, speaking of the Washington Stand, uh, another great article by Ben Johnson. this is this is unbelievable, okay? It, it it really is. You've got a South Dakota state representative who she um, thinks that those advocating for children growing up in a family with a mom and a dad is a dangerous and un-American idea. So this all started last week family heritage Alliance director Norman Woods was a guest on Washington Watch where he discussed his appearance before the South Dakota State Legislature's Committee uh, on behalf of families. Well, his testimony must have really triggered this State Representative, Aaron Healy, as she took to Twitter saying, quote, Extremist group Family Heritage Alliance said this morning that the safest safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and a dad. What a dangerous and un American belief, end quote. Now, this legislator may not know the truth, but there can be no doubt that the home of a married mother and father is statistically—it's proven to be the safest place for a child. So why, why would a politician blatantly attack the family? And how far into her own echo chamber must she be to call a strong family un-American? Well, joining now to discuss this and more is Ben Johnson, senior writer and editor at The Washington Stand. Ben, welcome back to Washington Watch. Pleasure to be with you as always. So you you wrote about this in The Washington Stand. Um, Did did you have to take a—did this require a double take on this tweet to see if you actually read it right?
0: The first time I saw it, I thought it was the Babylon Bee. I thought, surely I'm being punked here somehow. Uh, As it turns out, she is a bona fide believer in the social revolution. Uh, you know, she believes that uh, the family is not only un-American, but also nauseated. Earlier in the same day, she tweeted, and I quote, the grip from fundamentalist groups who only believe in nuclear families is strong in our state legislature today. I'm disgusted by the extremist opposition we heard today. Yeah. It's just it's mind-boggling because when you think of the essence of America, you think of apple pie, baseball, and motherhood, apparently her view now America has two mommies.
1: So. I mean, now, I, mean, I, I just, I, I want our viewers and listeners to grasp what we're talking about here. I mean, if this were isolated, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But this is reflective of where the left is in America today. Wanting a child to have a mom and a dad is now described as an extremist position. What does that tell us about where politics has taken this country?
0: It tells us we need a lot more of what's going on in Asbury right now. Uh, that uh, we, politics reflects culture, culture reflects religion, and we're seeing that uh, as America moves away from God, you're moving away from the natural family, the order that he created as well. Uh, as you said, this is a prominent, uh, predominant belief, really, in the Democratic Party. She just sort of said the quiet part out loud, but you saw the exact same spirit in Virginia not that long ago when uh, Terry McAuliffe, who was former governor, was running, and he said, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should be teaching. But let's not forget, McAuliffe was chairman of the DNC, and he was considered a moderate at the time. So I think the Democratic Party's policies seek to replace our constitutional republic with, uh, for lack of a better term, the custodial state, where a collection of teachers, psychologists, so-called public health experts, they call the major child-rearing decisions that were formally made by parents. It's not enough for them to be big brother. They want to be big mother as
1: well. Uh, Two final questions for you, uh, Ben. Number one, has she retracted this statement or provide a clarifying statement?
0: Not as of the last time that I checked. At at no point has she clarified that she's changed her mind. She is one of the most left-wing members of the state legislature. You say, well, it's South Dakota, and that's not hard to do. But she's also the person that Kamala Harris met with when she was going around to different states trying to evade the Dobbs decision. So she is uh, very much
1: on the left. All right. Last question, just so our listeners and viewers are aware of this, what does the social science tell us about the safest environment for children?
0: Well, over and over again, God's order for the family has been proven by social science. You don't have to believe me, you can believe Congress. There's a congressionally mandated study of child abuse that found, and I quote, children living with two married biological parents have had the lowest rate of overall harm. Uh, in my piece at WashingtonStand.com, I go through studies going back almost 40 years, and the social science predates that as well, finding that uh, children who live with a stepparent were 40 times more likely to be abused than those living with their natural parents. They're 50 times more likely to be killed. Uh, they are far more likely to be involved with uh, child protective services. And then our friend Mark is, of course, also did groundbreaking research, finding that Children raised by same-sex couples are also far more likely to suffer physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, which only makes sense if you think about it. Naturally, when you have the natural bonds of kinship and unconditional love, you're far less likely to physically or sexually or emotionally abuse someone than someone who lacks that.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the evidence, the social science is overwhelming. Uh, ben, thanks so much for joining us. Great piece. Uh, always appreciate having, having you on uh, Washington Watch. Thank you so much. All right, uh, today, uh, well, I guess it was yesterday, but Nikki Haley has uh, thrown her hat in the ring for president, so we've got Donald uh, for the Republican nomination, so you got Donald Trump and Nikki Haley now are in the arena together. But this starts to the conversation. What are most is, what are um, the most important issues to Republican primary voters? Well, according to a recent poll commissioned by the American Principles project, a vast majority. Want the GOP presidential hopefuls to take on the woke ideology so pervasive now in both education and health care. You know, what will this mean as the primary race for the 2024 presidential nomination begins to heat up? Well, join me now to discuss this and more is John Sweppy, Director of Policy and Government Affairs for the American Principles Project. John, welcome back to Washington Watch.
9: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
1: All right, so tell us your reaction to the poll that you commissioned. Any surprises there for you?
9: Well, this was a poll of GOP primary voters, and we wanted to see what really animates them, what, what gets them excited to support a candidate. And what we found was uh, pretty encouraging, actually. Uh, the fight against the woke, uh, these transgender issues, all of that, uh, that's where the intensity really was. We, we also pulled, as contrast. You know, some of the establishment GOP's pet issues, I would say, you know, funding the war in Ukraine, uh, comprehensive immigration reform, uh, even Social Security and Medicare reform. And they did a lot worse. You know, ultimately, voters are looking for someone who's going to defend the family, uh, who's going to fight the the woke left, who's going to fight to stop these horrific sex change procedures that are being performed on kids. Uh, And I I think, you know, we're going to have to see. But I think a Republican candidate who emerges from this presidential primary is going to have to be strong on all those issues.
1: Yeah. What what I saw here, John, that was interesting to me was the intensity on some of these issues. Like, for instance, 81 percent support a federal law prohibiting sex change medical procedures on minors, including puberty blockers cross-sex hormones and surgeries, 81%. I mean, that's quite significant. And 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 now we're seeing, we, we, we've seen the last two years, these measures moving their way across the country. So it, it's clear that those state legislators are listening to the people. But I, I tell you, the one thing that really, really surprised me on this was there's been a lot of focus initially on men and women's sports. I mean, that was kind of the big thing. 69%, support a federal law prohibiting biological males from competing in girls sports at the K through 12 and collegiate levels. I mean, 69 percent, that's still a a good number. But what was surprising was that it's even stronger when it comes to these sex change medical procedures. People understand what's going on and what really matters.
9: Yeah, that that was a fascinating number to see the sex changes question eclipse the women's sports question and you know we've been asking variations of this for several years now uh and early on you know voters like 2017 2018 voters didn't really know that sex changes for kids were happening obviously that's different now and so you know when we're talking about protecting children you know young when you're talking about puberty blockers as young as seven eight years old that's where voters are really animated they see it as an issue of life and death because it is and, you know, women's sports is important, and we want to protect these opportunities for girls. Uh, but I think it's a little bit lower stakes. Uh, we really, you know, the, the sex changes thing, it's a, it's a horrific um, thing that's being perpetrated on these kids, and it really, really animates Republican voters. And, and what we found is that in our polling of the general electorate, it's actually really important to independents and even some Democrats, too. It's a great issue uh, for Republicans to, to lead on. And hopefully you know do the right thing as we try to stop this from happening across the country
1: we, when you talk about the sexualizing of our our children uh, is another strong number eighty two percent support a federal law requiring online pornography sites to verify the age of users to prevent minors from accessing that content i mean that 's eighty two percent again another extremely strong number I think. It, what I'm get, what I read from this, uh, scanning through it today, is that Americans have had enough of this sexual, over sexualized culture that's just pushing this stuff on the American public.
9: Yeah, and and that's an issue. You know, pornography hasn't really been something that's been talked about to the same degree as uh, the transgender agenda. Obviously, it's connected. Uh, But we're seeing this massive support. And now, you know, we had a a state in Louisiana with a Democrat governor, actually, uh, sign age verification for porn sites into law uh, last year. And we're going to see several states pass legislation similar this year, which is really encouraging. But, you know, I think the most important thing here for the politics of it, the Republican presidential candidates, they should be looking at these issues as a way to make waves and, and get ahead and, and build support within the Republican Party. I think both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis understand that. But, you know, you have somebody like Nikki Haley, who's, you know, a good conservative, but she had her speech today and she didn't address social issues, not not once. And I think that's a mistake politically uh, that hopefully these folks will, will learn from and, and recognize that, you know, conservatives are we're engaged and we're, we're going to make sure that the Republican nominee is good on these issues.
1: So, John, based upon your survey here, which is pretty comprehensive, is there room for a moderate in the uh, the Republican primary? I mean, are they, they going to get any traction at all?
9: I think there's always the opportunity for, you know, what I'd call the CNN-MSNBC lane, uh, where he can run maybe 3 4%. But, no, this is an issue, you know, especially look at something like parental rights. Parental rights, you saw, I, I think it was 90-something percent, uh, support on the issue. You know, you have to support that in a Republican primary or you're not going to win. And and I think that's that's where Trump gets that. He's he's talked actually, he released a video uh, a few weeks ago where he basically said, we're going to combat all of this stuff. DeSantis has led on that in Florida. And so that's where we got to go. Uh, and I think Republican voters are ready for that.
1: So I, I think you're right. I think both Donald Trump and uh, Governor DeSantis are are kind of the pace setters on this. They're they're making their position known early. Um, Donald Trump did during his administration. I mean, you you have to recognize that he was the one that came in, overturned the Obama era transgender policy in the military. He took that on. Uh, of course, Ron DeSantis has been fighting for parents in in Florida. So I don't think anybody to uh, you know that 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 is on the other side of these issues has a chance in the Republican. Primary. I mean, I think you're right. They're going to have to show themselves just as strong, if not stronger than Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis.
9: Yeah. And the encouraging thing, especially for social conservatives, is that as Trump and DeSantis fight each other, you know, they're going to continue to try to outflank each other on all of these issues. And so, you know, even something we pulled on uh, the big tech issue today, they're kind of outflanking each other. Uh, with that, trying to do a digital Bill of Rights to make sure censorship doesn't happen online. So, you know, I think this is going to be really good. I think folks should be excited about the primary, and let's make sure that we get a strong candidate that can finally take Joe Biden out of office and make sure we can save this country.
1: Yeah, the beneficiaries of this will be the American family, uh, because as they fight this woke leftist agenda, the family benefits. John, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate uh, you sharing this information with us, very insightful. Where can folks uh, see more about this uh, survey?
9: We're uh, so we have a press release. You can check it out at AmericanPrinciplesProject.org, and it should have a link to the poll in the press release. And then we're on Twitter at AP Project.
1: All right, very good. We'll pass that along, John. Thanks so much. Good to see you.
9: Thank you.
1: And, folks, so you can go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and follow those links over. Hey, by the way, another announcement for you. Hundreds of you, actually thousands, have signed the petition to the mayor of Port Wentworth, Georgia, on behalf of Jacob, who was uh, bullied into resigning because he believed in marriage, biblical marriage. We need your help. Continue. If If you've not yet signed that petition, text the word JACOB to 67742. That's 67742, the name Jacob. You can sign the petition or go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, we're out of time, unfortunately, but it's been great to have you with us today. Until next time, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.